the Southland Monday, July 5th. Mr. Jake Grant, uh, the women's national soccer team in the United States, will be playing in the Tokyo Olympics in two weeks. Can you guess what the kickoff time is for their first game? Nope, this will be in Eastern time. Uh, in Tokyo? Yes. Like, I assume based on how we're talking about this, that it's not very good for uh, your watchability of the game. So let's go with uh, 11 p.m. Uh, you're, you're cold uh, a little later. 3 a.m. Closer, warmer. A little bit uh, 5 a.m. Uh, a little colder, the other way. 1 a.m. No, 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 no. 4.30. 4.30 a.m. Eastern. Oh, that's terrible. It's in, it's smack dab in the middle of, I've stayed up too long and I'm up too early. This is what yeah. I described, 4.30 a.m. It, it is quite possibly the least optimal time to have that app. Yep, so it's either wake up absurdly early before the sun rises or watch it on tape delay. Um, I'm a guess that you're going to watch on tape delay because even you are not crazy enough to get up that early to watch that game. I've done some stupid things. You have? Not that I know of. You know, this is one thing we'll evaluate as it goes. You know, we're, we're always evolving. We're always competing. There's one, one step this on the road, you know? This is why you should never meet your heroes, kids. I'm full of coach speak. I am full of coach speak. Speaking of coach speak, we have a lot of, uh, you know, boss of coaches items to talk about today, wouldn't you say? Uh, it, it seems to be the admin week, if anything. I mean, a boss of coaches, athletic director, it made sense in my head. I, uh, I'll never fault you for a uh, transi transition mediocrely done, considering I can't do much better, so. Yeah, see, this is, this is all part of the bit, right? It's all part of the dichotomy. Oh, yeah. This is why people pay us money to listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Subscribe on Patreon. Anyway. <laughs> what Patreon? News items. 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 It says uh, football kicked off a rowdy 4th of July with three commitments. Uh, interior defensive line, David Miles from St. Peter's Prep, New Jersey. Four-star linebacker, Kyle Everett, three-star from Dacula, 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 uh, and tight end Nate Karisky, a three-star from Gonzaga High School in Washington, D.C. Surprised to see that is not the state of Washington. Uh, and then just for context, how this uh, puts together the class overall, or how this shapes the class together overall, uh, the class as a whole is back up to 25th in the 24-7 composite with 11 units. Uh, the average rating stands at 87.3, just ahead of the 2020 class, and in a virtual tie with the vaunted 11 class. How are we feeling? 
I know you're not a recruiting expert, but I assume you have a thought at least. I have a hot take that uh, you might not like, so we're going to roll with it. Um, the commitment graphic, I cannot remember if it was effort or miles. I think it was miles. Miles, if I remember your comment. I am a noted hater, open hater of the Black Watch jersey. Incredibly open hater. Let's not sell yourself short here. But that graphic was very slick. With the uh, well, it, consistency is important. It leads into my next take. Navy's an accent color, but like a midnight blue navy. Like, hey, maybe it maybe it uh, gets the people who like the black jerseys going, and kind of as a compromise, I think it would do the accenting a little better. And I think that's what it looked like in the. Uh, in the actual graphic, to the point where I didn't even realize that was the uh, Blackwatch jersey until I looked closer at the uh, striping on the side of the jersey, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I think he had the Blackwatch jersey in the background and then the navy one in the foreground. But you, but the way that it was tinted. Oh, it was great. Oh, that it was navy in the front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is that is a thing. I don't know. Yeah. I, Navy color that we use, I kind of like personally. Hey, to each to each their own. Um, you can uh, for all the people keeping score of the podcast out there. It is now a million to one in favor of not black watch jerseys in terms of uniform takes on this podcast. So uh, great, um, but no. Um, for everything I've seen about KJ Miles uh, makes me excited that he's coming here. Obviously, it's good to be up to I believe four four stars now in the class. Uh, I know that the phrase double-digit four-stars has been thrown around a lot, and I don't necessarily think that that is going to happen. But um, clearly the numbers don't lie. This is a pretty talented class. And uh, if I recall correctly as well, uh, we're punching above our weight in terms of average star ranking on the uh, on the old recruiting class. So, you know, it's one thing to be 25th, uh, whatnot, in the country. But if you're... Uh, Getting the uh, the talent in the door uh, at, at a high uh, efficiency, if you will, instead of just taking lots and lots of numbers, I, I think that's a good way to go about getting in twenty fifth. So I like it. I think another thing to note is that this year and the next couple of years are going to be weird class sizes, right? Um, especially when it comes to that. Excuse me, when it comes to the numbers of kids that you see in each class, just because of the COVID year. That was added to everyone's eligibility. You're gonna see a lot of weird roster construction, a lot of weirdly small classes. Maybe some some schools even that don't even take any uh, that don't even take any high school recruits, like Texas State did. Those kinds mm-hmm. of situations become more likely when you are sort of when you've had a situation where you're flexing with the numbers. Uh, obviously. None of that is within the control of the school, pandemic, yada, yada, yada. But still, it's, it makes for an interesting situation when it comes to, uh, when, when it comes to roster management, roster construction, and roster projection. Yeah. Um, again, I don't pretend to be an expert on scheme, recruiting. Uh, I, I 
go to football games. I watch them. I enjoy them. I have takes on schedules and, and what I see. Um, so again, we kind of hit this at a pretty high level. You know, it, it had been a relatively quiet summer in terms of uh, rate of hits. And again, that speaks to the relatively high ranking uh, per the amount of players that we have uh, of this class. But to see three come in all at once uh, probably makes for a busy day for the boys over in uh, Edge Rice. But uh, you know what? The, the, it, it added to the holiday festivities, which I will uh, allow myself to derail a little bit here. A little weird to have the 4th of July on a Sunday. What do you think? It was strange. Uh, I'm thankful for days off because, yeah, it, I mean, I do not think I would have been able to go to work. For variety ah, reasons. I was very just tired. just a, uh, a a a rager of a night up in Alpharetta for you, ain't it? Um, sources may indicate that. Yes. Well, I'm I'm glad you're with us uh, here right now. I uh, again, uh, I I don't know what's coming on the horizon in terms of recruiting, but uh, you know, today was Fourth of July observed. You can laurels for a day <laughs> after a nice haul. American Sabbath, if you will. Ah, that's a good way to put it. Akshay, noted commentator on society. You know me. Uh, I'm full of ideas. Uh, we do. To other, other things that uh, are part of a society. Uh, the Olympics, actually mentioned, are coming up. Georgia Tech Swim does have one member of its team that made the Olympic squad. Not for the U.S., but for Turkey. Uh, we actually have three, my guy, and, and two yeah, swimming for Turkey. Focus, I wanted to focus on the guy that made it for Turkey, so please tell me about it, Ramblin'. Uh, well, see, the weird thing is, I would have expected Ramblin' Rec to come up with a bunch of details, uh, but they did not. Uh, on the other hand, um, really all we're going off of on this is Twitter, and there's a nice graphic uh, that... Uh, Bajuronla, uh, who noted, uh, tore up the 200 freestyle as well as uh, the 500. And the 100 was pretty decent uh, this past year for Tech. Um, had kind of been lurking right on the cusp of A, B cut uh, for the FINA standards that they set for the Olympics. And uh, he received an invitation to represent Turkey uh, in 2020. Uh, well, I guess it's 2021, uh, but in the 200 freestyle. Which all the money on the branding. <laughs> yeah. The, um, it's weird to have Olympics in an odd number year. I got to put that one out there too. But um, he, uh, he'll he swim the 200 free. Uh, he is uh, essentially the best to ever do it at Tech in the 200 free. Um, regardless, we have a couple more years uh, of seeing him on the flats after this. But given that he did it via invitation and not via uh, A-cut, um, I believe means he'll be swimming – in one of the relatively early heats. So if you are somebody who's watching the Olympics, uh, uh, tune in right away in, in the swimming blocks when the 200 free comes up. Otherwise, uh, you'll have to wait till the 200 back uh, for, I believe that's also that. Yeah, that's our other Turk uh, incoming commit, uh, Berkisaka, um, 200 backstroke. He's just barely, narrowly made it under the line. And then, as always, uh, Kyle Pampudis, uh, who is... Uh, dare we say the goat 
um, of Georgia Tech's women can be swimming the 2IM, I believe. Yeah, I think it's just the 2IM. Okay. Yeah, see, I forgot that we had two others, but I also wanted to focus on the third member of Georgia Tech's women the Olympics. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. All of you, this makes sense. All of this was actually planned. Me forgetting was planned. The whole bit. I mean, on Sokka, you definitely have an excuse. That's probably a name. I don't think we've talked about him yet, but he's pretty good. We have. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, I I believe Kyle also doesn't graduate till 2022. So all three of these dudes uh, will be, uh, I was going to say lacing it up for tech next year, but uh, I don't think that's a good way to describe swimming, but, you know, we'll see them in the pool too. Capping it up, capping it up. Capping it up. Yes, let's go with that. That is a nice, not weird way to put that. Yes, let's let's ride. Perfect. Uh, speaking of other things that affect non-revenue sports, something that I forgot to touch on in football as well, uh, name, image, and likeness legislation is now in effect across most of the country, and I think the NCAA has also passed some preliminary guidance on it as well to cover the other 22 states, 23 states uh, that did not pass official legislation. So, yeah, athletes are now allowed to make sponsorship money before they before they graduate and move on to a draft or any sort of professional league. How, how does this make you feel as a vaunted non-revenue sports writer? Um. Just in in general, the the NIL stuff. I mean, yes. huh, I, I, people write whole books about NIL that are way more um, not credible. That sounds bad, but you know, um, it's not necessarily my wheelhouse. If if you want to hear some true experts talk about this, uh, we will shill for Matt Brown and going for two any time of the day. But um, it, it's a I, for so long, I think people have gotten uh, booster improprietary uh, schools offering contracts mixed up with basic human, like is, uh, fundamental things that every student can do. Like you and I, we can write for from from the Rumble seat. We, if we wanted to start a YouTube channel, we could do that. We can, you know, have all the the, the opportunity to have Akshay.com. Uh, or whatever and, and sell Akshay related merchandise and you know because everybody's clamoring for those and and the official you know shirt of Jay Grant if that was a thing um, for them to be able to actually do that uh, it, I think is pretty pretty natural I, I think it's been a long time coming and I think uh, I, I don't know if we touched on this too much but you see uh, in a lot of, especially the non-rev sports, the Olympic window, the opportunity to compete on, you know, I, I guess there's what, four professional softball teams, you know, stuff like that. The, the windows aren't that large. So if you're going to make money off of being a softball player, out of being a swimmer, you're never going to really get quite as big of a stage as you are at NCAAs, and then if you're an Olymp- like a, especially in the U.S., like a, a caliber Olympian, like a Missy Franklin, a Katie Ledecky of the world, this is the opportunity that keeps them 
involved and, and, and allows them to use their God-given talents to, you know, set themselves up better in life, to help their families, to fund their education. Because, And again, especially in the non-football, basketball, counting sports of the world, a lot of kids in a lot of sports uh, and uh, from walk-ons to partial scholarships aren't getting their education covered uh, nearly fully by by school and and whatever keeps kids in school and and helps them do that i think is is a plus for for you know college sports yeah and so i remember when when i was in school i had a couple friends that were the siblings of a couple friends siblings of a friend wow english is hard siblings of a friend who were on lacrosse teams in other parts of the country, and they were only on half scholarships. So they were paying out of pocket the rest. Paying out of pocket or taking on loans, I don't remember. Let's say NIL was in, uh, NIL was in play for them. There, they would be able to do camps in their, you know, during the off season, and make money off of that. Say, hey, I play lacrosse at X school. Uh, like I'm willing, and I play at a high level. One program, I can teach your kid how to play lacrosse. I can give them off-season training, so when they go back to their high school team or their club team or their travel team, they'll be much better. And now that includes athletes, regardless of sports, it doesn't have to be lacrosse; it can be softball. Yeah, more than you get the point that I'm going for. It's, it's, I mean, it's I, late at night for over here that we're recording. He says at you know, 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, but it gives them the opportunity to make money off of something that they have earned, right? They've earned a place to play a sport at Tech. They've earned the ability to, you know, call themselves a D1 athlete. They should also be able to market themselves as that and, you know, do all the things that come with it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not something you can do unless you are the Arch Mannings, a couple basketball prospects of the world right away. Um, like, I, I mean, talking about lacrosse or, or like my sister's about to be a freshman at Louisville to play softball. Um, I don't know if we talk about that a lot on the podcast, but it, it is a thing that's happening. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, off, off, the, off the gate, you know, partial scholarship, whatever. But it's not like all of these kids are now suddenly inking six figure sponsorship out the wazoo. You know, it, it's, it's just the opportunity that the doors there in the event that, you know, you can get, you know, a, a job or, or just these freelance or, or self run entities and, and it, tying it into the latest podcast. It's great that now I think there's even more of an incentive for people to take advantage of these resources that you have through the schools or through the athletic departments that are, Hey, here's how you manage your money responsibly. Here's how you build your brand. Here's like, there's all this incentive to do. I think a lot of good with this that I think got, you know, brushed under the rug for a long time. And, and, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that to judge other people either because there was, uh, when I was less informed as to exactly what this meant, if you would have asked me two years ago, I'd probably been like, Ooh, that sounds dirty. 
my amateurism, you know, but I think this is definitely a gray area. And, and you can see that in how much of a bipartisan unifying uh, effect that this has on a lot of different folks uh, with a lot of different uh, backgrounds and opinions. Oh, yeah. There is nothing that unifies people better or, or more effectively than hatred of the NCAA. It's really fun. If, do you think, a hot take off the cup, if there was a political party whose single plank was down with the NCAA, do you think they could be successful with just being a one-issue party? Uh, there's a lot of things loaded into that question, but for the meme value, I'm going to say yes. All right. You, you deferred in an acceptable way, I think, on that. Also, speaking of athletes partnering with various stuff, um, for, for all intents and purposes, I don't see much of a difference to pull somebody out of the blue here on Wanya Thomas's Instagram page. The only thing different from uh, out this way kind of thing is I see two ads, one for a clothing company and one for Barstool. Like that, if, that, if that helps you know, make his college experience a little better, you know, buy food, buy books. You know, that, that's a, a well-deserved thing for, for somebody who plays at a high level to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, it's also, I think you hit it on the nail on the head when you said these are some of these kids' highest right? This is when they can make the most amount of money because at a certain level, if you're a D1 athlete at like a Power 5 school, you are a kind of influencer. I mean, you are an influencer. So you have the power to use your social media to make money. And that's what a lot of these kids are doing. And it's, it's almost sickening that the NCAA spent, how long has it been since the 84 court case? That's what, 37, 37 years? Having this as a main plank of it's amateurism, using the specter of, you know, what is, I don't know, man, amateurism is, has been a sham for decades now. It, it's just, it's starting to, you're starting to see the building blocks of people more, more mainstream than us realizing that. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, but there is one very important consideration here that I think should be rectified immediately. And if anybody was listening to this would like to tweet at me about this, I will gladly retweet any support I can get on this issue uh, eagerly and with great vigor. ACC football championship should be reinstated immediately. Yeah, why not? I, I mean, if you're going to reinstate that, you might as well put back uh, Reggie Bush's accolades as well and give it back to Heisman. Yeah, they should. And, and, and that man, for how much of a phenomenon he was, the fact that he only made $300,000 off autographs. He could have made plenty more than that. He could have made so much in a completely above board 
a, a completely above board manner too. Like it's not like it was. Oh, he's selling them on the black market. No, he's just signing autographs, man. That guy could have made. It's his name. Money. Could have made so it's a shame. Money. Do you remember how big of an athlete Reggie Bush was in 0506? Well, I guess you don't. You were a child, but like, think about it. Uh, Reggie Bush and Vince Young making so, so, so much money off of their autographs, off of their off of pictures, like all this sort of stuff, especially when both of them were competing at the highest levels. And then it just makes their sort of their careers in the NFL flaming out all the more kind of sad, right? Because they yeah. maximize their they effectively could have they could have maximized that earning potential in college. And that's just not a thing that they got to do. Yeah. I, and, well, especially with people who, I guess, peak in college. Like, imagine being Johnny Manziel for a moment, as unimaginable as that is to the, the you's and me's of the world. Um, but, like, he was much more of a phenomenon as a college player than he was in the NFL. Am I right or am I wrong? Yes, because Johnny Manziel is the definition of a diva, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just a shame, I, I, I think, like that it, it, it waited this long. But the flip side of that coin, that, that it took out, you know, NCAA football with it or whatever, but we're past it. Like, yes, uh, uh, this now just hand waves away everything I just said and everything you just said. But you know what? You can't change the past. Uh, well, except you can give Reggie back his Heisman trophy. Yes. Absolutely change NCAA record books. But I get the point. Like, you, you can't go relitigate their earning potential, right? Like, that, it, it's gone. But it, I think the fact of the matter is, like you're saying, now the opportunity is there for Spencer Rattler and the, the new quarterback at Clemson, whose name is too hard to pronounce. DJ. Um, Big Cinco or whatever they're calling it. Um, and some <laughs> of these other guys, not just even on the football side, right? I think this is going to be huge for – like I, I introduced this as being huge for non-red athletes. And, and especially with the influencing side of this, like the first couple of deals that we saw – were massive. There were Fresno State women's basketball players signing with Bruce Mobley. Right, so good for them. There's opportunity good for them. that even for previously underserved markets, like people, like programs that would not have bag men, now have bag men. They're just above board. Yeah. Um, also, I'm about to break open another hot take reinstatement uh, two of them actually Ohio State autograph signing except that's a little more dirty because they sold some stuff so don't attack me on that uh, and some of the Georgia Tech basketball little dealio that happened uh, with Todrick and uh, Josh Akogi yeah I so yeah, much it just shows it, well it just shows how much of the like House of Cards that a lot of this like NCAA big bad yeah enforcement is um, and, and granted 
it's not like they could like openly endorse Ron Bell or, or whatever that whole ridiculous saga was. But at, at the end of the day, it's a it's a tough bridge for me to cross if Georgia Tech is going to be out here, you know, say, oh, we have inked a four-year contract with big high school recruit or top of his room and board cost of expenses, tuition, normal student things. Like, just paying them petty cash or, or like, a contract, I that's a lot. A, a lot for me who, who saw a lot of value in his Georgia Tech education, you know, and I get that it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And how to stay guy. I get that it's different. I get football's different, but to, to an extent you get really, it, there's a reason that the, the 40 year decision thing is such a meme. It's because Georgia Tech changes your life and getting that for free is not nothing. And that's, that's something that did, hold me back a long time because people did act like getting a free education was nothing, you know, like, Oh, you're, you're basically screwed. That's why so much of this is gray area. And, and all they've done is move the Overton window to a place that I think makes reasonable things more acceptable and, and, uh, mainstreamed, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think we're going to get to the point where schools are straight up cutting checks to players. Uh, that's that's mostly rooted in fact. I don't think that's really an opinion at this point. I think if you're seeing schools cutting checks to players, it's probably going to be something along the lines of, oh, the Power Five is split away. They basically said to some sort of marketing or sports management entity, hey, here's our 65 brands run a single entity sports league, football league, because it's going to be football. Run, run a single entity sports uh, football league with our, uh, with our brands for each team and, ha- and run all of the contracts through there and then have, have the NCAA beer, beer clearinghouse. Yeah. That's more realistic than looking at, than having each school cut a, a football player, a basketball player, a check. Yeah, honestly, that that entire scenario sounds sounds pretty realistic. Yeah, I agree. It, it it's just you know we're we're in a brave new world. Anyone who says that they know how this is going to happen just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no one really knows what what happens from here. I think it, it's. Once the money starts getting involved in places where it hasn't been for a long time, it, it changes the dynamics of, of how sport works. Yep. And that's now starting. You'll, I'm not saying it, it sounds like I'm saying it as a bad thing, but it could also be a good thing, right? I think the passage of NIL, like we've been talking about, is a good thing, but it remains to be seen how that market, how the effects of that market develop. Yep. And that's just something that's going to have to come with time, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of uh, something that's more current, do you want to talk about Georgia Tech's Directors' Cup finish? Sure. Um, got some takes on that, too. Oh, boy. Um, for those who don't know, Georgia Tech, um, well, the Directors' Cup is a prize given to the 
top athletic department um, based on every year uh, in Texas this year, um, but the top athletic department uh, based on basically a, a composite of finishes uh, of at various rankings ostensibly ostensibly you need to make an ncaa tournament uh for your finish to count you know they're not just be like ah arbitrarily middle tennessee state you got 120th in men's track is that anywhere close to what actually happened i have no clue but you know they're not just like doing it off of that having more sports gives you one more opportunities but also there i believe there's a counting cap on how many uh about how many teams score um, so it gives you a little bit more flexibility as well in terms of weighting your finishes. Georgia Tech, that being said, got 44th as noted, um, which is uh, historically not a bad finish. Uh, it, it's the best Tech has had since 2004, 2005, and the third best in school history. Granted, um, this only goes back uh, a handful of decades. It's not like this is topping the random years in like 1920 where we win every Southeastern championship, but the NCAA didn't really, you know, exist to regulate and enforce uh, championships in sports back then you get the point that I'm trying to go with here. Right. Um, Georgia tech's highest finish ever. Uh, 31st uh, is to, uh, 2004, 2005 was 31st. Uh, they also tied that in 2003, 2004. Um, Georgia Tech uh, in social media and output in, in the article and stuff have noted a couple times, uh, Mr. Schwan, that Georgia Tech and Texas Tech were the only institutions in the top 50 in this year's final standings that have 17 sports or less, uh, Texas Tech finished 43rd, uh, also has 17, like Tech. Um, what's the spin zone on that? Because I think you know my take already here. So my, the way that I think it's written, the way that I personally think it's written, and the way that it probably was written, is that look at us, we're out here doing things, and we're not just doing them because of the volume of sports that we have, we only have so few, and we are still doing them. I really, honestly, truly think that is the perspective from which it was written. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. However, However I do think that that is a it is a un, unintended commentary on the uh, not prolificness, but the holistic uh, or or. Uh, broad basedness that's not a word, but it is now, um, of our athletic department. And, and that's, that's a historic thing based on, on money, on being Southeast, on being uh, for a long time, primarily men's school. Like, there's a lot of factors that have made Georgia Tech a relatively narrowly focused athletic department. Like, yes, 17 sports sounds like a lot, but most of these teams that have a yeah it's basically 13 because cross country and, and track uh, combo for for six sports right there you know um but point being uh, to have a, a, a an athletic department that sees a director's cup win you're gonna have 25 plus teams 
That's eight more than tech off the bat. And, and I'm not saying that that directly correlates to uh, prestige or success. Uh, a lot of it has to do with just inherent wealth of, of programs, of, of uh, historic access to things like that. Like you know, Georgia Tech's not going to start a lacrosse team in, in the middle of Georgia in 1960. Like it just wasn't going to happen, you know? Um, but that being said, it, it, there's, there's a reason that we look at like a UNC and be like, gosh, they're winning all these titles, Duke. Oh, they're winning all these uh, conference titles. You know, it's because they have a lot more opportunities to do that, you know? So at the end of the day, yes, it is a, hey, we had a lot of success, but it's, hey, we had a lot of success with what we had. Talked a number of times about we could have more or we want to have this is sort of where we get into our next topic what does that look like in the future how does this program continue to build to higher and higher and higher directors cup finishes because we sat here two or three years ago doing one of these episodes immediately after uh, a june like a june 2018 podcast sort of Lamenting that was bad. The athletic <laughs> department, because every team, more or less, had underperformed in some way. Mm-hmm. What do the next ten years look like? What does the future of the program? What What are the areas for growth that they want to focus on, and how does that lead to? Um, how does that lead to success? How does that lead to success measured by higher and higher and higher directors' cup finishes? And I think we got some answers in that department with the release of the athletic department's new 10-year plan. Yes, I, I agree. I, I'm not going to shoot down the segue. I am going to bounce one more time, and then I'll roll into that. The obvious answer here, if we're saying we want to, if the end-all be-all, which we're going to go into the 10-year plan, it's not the end-all be-all of just being higher finish in Director's Cup equals which we don't necessarily have into problems and start more teams which in this day and age unless you have a donor one issue donor that's like in the case of arizona state ice hockey hey i have a ton of money i want us to have an ice hockey program here's a blank check or hey we're finally going to pay attention or someone is finally suing us because we don't pay attention to title nine issues Hey, Those are the, <laughs> yeah, uh, or, or Clemson, the old, hey, instead of cutting men's track. Uh, we're not to... only going to not cut men's track, we're going to reinstate like three other women's programs. Not reinstate, we're going to make three other women's programs. Yeah, of course, women's gymnastics. Women's, uh, women's gymnastics and lacrosse, I believe. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, of course, women's swimming not coming back. I'm still salty, but whatever. Um, you get the point. The, the, the push in athletics is not primarily growth, and especially coming off a pandemic, it is not, hey, we need to, Georgia Tech needs to be in the beach volleyball space. Georgia Tech needs to find land and money that we don't have to have a soccer or lacrosse stadium. No, no, no. It is, how do we do the best with what we've had? And, uh, and 
That's a disheartening thing to hear from a fan base that just went $50 million above a funding goal or spent the last, you know, previous athletic director's tenure being, this is why we can't have X. This is why uh, Coach Johnson can't hire the football uh, staff that he wants because of X. This is why we're hiring this coach instead of that. Um, X, Y, and Z. To be in a new regime and still have ostensibly the same problems, I think finishing 44th does reflect an improvement in that status quo, even if the problems are the same, we're clearly handling them a little bit better. And I think that speaks to the strategic vision of the department, which seems to be more unified than we've seen in the past. And, and, and vision sort of gets more unified here. It gets crystallized here in this plan, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing off the top is, I'm pretty sure the vision they state, the, the we develop the young people who change the world, I have heard that said by athletics before. You have too, right? I'm not crazy. Absolutely. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's been, that's at least for the last five to six to seven years, that's been the, uh, that's been like the leading line of the Everyday Champions program. Yeah. And I think maybe, maybe they're pivoting it from being Everyday Champions to the, the rest of the program. But I think there's heart in saying, hey, like, the vision and the mission we have here doesn't necessarily need to change. Uh, obviously, the mission probably did get tweaked a little bit. Um, <laughs> I did appreciate that the word optimizing was tossed in there because that just seemed a little bit tech-speak to me. But, you know, hey, winning winning in academics in the classroom, uh, in life afterwards, and on the field, those are those seem like reasonable goals to me. Um, they noted the values were teamwork, character, excellence, and innovation – the things that buzzword, I think buzzword. Sorry. Oh yeah. I do that. Obligatory. I, I say this uh, on this specific strategic document, having spent the last year and a half knee deep in Georgia tech's own Institute uh, document, which we'll get to in a sec. Um, and, and one for the, uh, the church I'm involved with. Well, values matter but also how people read your values matter. So if you just read buzzword, it's the same as like the church releasing a document that people are like, Oh yeah, that just sounds like a churchy word for the sake of using a churchy word. You know, like there has to be a, a clear mission or focus behind that. You know, like you can't just say excellence and be like, ah, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's the same reason why it, if you just hear culture, effort and grit over and over again, that gets a little, little old if you're not seeing a concrete like hey we actually are putting it's not yes you don't see progress it's it's and i i um i bounced this take off of uh a friend of the program a friend of the podcast yesterday but it, it's the same way that hey coach Passner being a giant lovable dork uh is super endearing in 2021 after, hey, yeah, that face mask was a little bit ridiculous, but his team showed a lot of heart. They improved a lot, and they won the conference. You know, that, that reads different than, what, going 8 and 10 or 6 and 12 in conference play and not really sniffing the playoffs. You know, that, that is, it, it is putting concrete effort and concrete results behind something. And, and I think Georgia Tech Athletics has and will continue to show that these four values matter. 
So it's a matter of backing that up. Um, roll. Yeah, I think we can sort of take that discussion on those values. And I think that sort of guides the areas of strategic focus that they laid out, right? Because mm -hmm. when we're talking about excellence, when we're talking about teamwork, you're also sort of leading on from that of some of these principles that they laid out that empowering student athletes to thrive academically and graduate uh, in terms of excellence. Uh, in terms of excellence, again, compete for ACC and NCAA championships. Strength that's teamwork, too. Being. Yeah, that's yep. also teamwork. Um, talking about excellence and character here, strengthen our culture of well-being, create an environment of holistic learning, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think it's well, when you look at those strategic focuses, I think they lay out pretty well what each of those values that they've laid out stands for. And now what that looks at a more concrete level, and we're talking about looking at that progress, right? I don't, I see some of these things, and I, I only read three of them, six. I see one or two of these that sound a little like business buzzwordy or, or like college athletics buzzwordy. But at, at the same time, some, some of the other ones are more specific, right? Well, one of the ones you didn't read, I think, really, really, really uh, illustrates that point really well, and it's the last one. If you were not familiar with the Georgia Tech program, you would read Champion the, in quotes, Power of the Huddle by Living the Ideals of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Access, and Collaboration. You would see that if you were not familiar with Georgia Tech as the, this is the catch-all for what we need to say in 2020, blah, 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 whatever, but no. You know that somebody at Edge Rice went, hey, that thing Bill Curry has been preaching to our department for 40 years and is known throughout this industry as like championing. We need that in what we're saying and what we're doing. And it builds who we are. Like, again, it's it not just knowing your audience, but knowing yourself like that shows a, in my opinion, a clear knowledge of of what this department can and wants to be right so it's a matter of i guess making sure people know why you say the things you're saying because like, if you don't know why you're saying the things you're saying then yes it is just buzz speak you know buzz speak bad uh bad pun you're getting yeah that is but <laughs> buzz does not in fact speak um sorry i didn't mean to cut you off on that the bit the entire point of the bit is that he has to speak jake I, I yeah. Uh, sorry to cut you off. I just thought that that was too too perfect. Fine. You know, yeah. you got you hit the nail on the head. I think some of those things also go hand in hand with what the institute has planned over the next few years. Right? You, yeah, especially when you're talking about that power of the model, you see, and, I, and you have written in our shot sheet here. But one of the things that's in the institute plan is amplify impact. It's embracing our power as agents of change for the public good, generating talent, ideas, solutions. Uh, unmatched impact and scale, yada, yada, yada. It's taking those opportunities to live by those ideals, that, that diversity, equity, inclusion, and then also blending that with the, the item right before it on the athletic plan, the developing responsible innovative strategies to strengthen and enhance resources. Taking both of those, both of those fall in line with the Institute plan. Well, you and... and and yeah, that's 
where this document went from being, okay, it's a strategic focus document in the last six, uh, yeah, four, two, three, four pages. That's where they make an explicit point to say, hey, we're not doing this in a vacuum. We're doing this with Georgia Tech. We are a unit of the school. We we want to align with their mission and make sure our values meet the, the you know, six, I, I believe it's six points of strategic focus that Georgia Tech laid out. You know, like it, and it shows that there's some sort of uh, crosstalk, a, a relationship building, uh, strategic focus alignment between athletics and the Institute, because athletics alone can't do much as what the two can do together. Right. It, it, you want to make sure that you're speaking the same language. Uh, coming off of that, go ahead. something that's important to, I think important to highlight here. One of the points that the Institute plan has that the, GTA provides a for cultivating well-being, uh, and, and there's a lot of mental health, both from the athlete perspective and the campus community's perspective. There's a lot of mental health guidance here, or, or there's a lot of mental health emphasis here. I, I hope that that turns into something concrete. Uh, I I don't remember exactly if, if Georgia Tech Athletics has a sports psychologist on staff. They got a shrink, yeah. They do, but having someone like that on staff and then expanding. Obviously, if you go on Reddit and ask the Georgia Tech subreddit about mental health services on campus, uh, <laughs> I am not sure the, the, you know, the natural end of your thread inundated by a certain set of responses. And it, obviously Reddit is a bit of an echo chamber when it comes to, when it comes to certain things, but get the sense for the Institute that and it's not really not it's it's not like it's not fact in fact. The institute does not have serviceable mental health services for its students. And I, I think both of us are acutely aware of that. Um, it, since this is now written in pen and it's been published, it is up to the institute and up to athletics to live up to their standards, and I really hope that they do. And in terms of expanding access uh, to resources, expanding the services that are offered. These are solvable problems. It comes down well, to, are you willing to prioritize them? And are you willing to throw money in? I think it's harder. Maybe you can make an argument for GPAA saying, we're on a bit of a shoestring budget. It's like, we'll, we'll defer to the Institute to spend money on this and help us out. But at the end of the day, this, again, this is a problem that you can throw money at and be better at or, or improve the situation. Well, before I take a bit of a left turn off that, I want to say I absolutely agree basically with every point you said there. Um, but it's interesting that you dove right into cultivate well-being on, on our notes. Uh, I have that bolded uh, because that was my <laughs> area of strategic I focus. I did yeah. feel your bit. But, well, I, but, I, it's, I mean, but it's okay because right? well, we are. We are. But the, the, the reason it's okay is because – I was really interested reading this because their interpretation of what cultivate well-being meant to Georgia Tech athletics didn't not not saying our opinion because there's, there's like 20 people on this committee, but I'm not going to pretend to speak for all of them because well, <laughs> and, and that's something I did learn working on a giant uh, committee is that many people come in with their own agendas, but my agenda in, in dealing with cultivate well-being had a lot to do 
with the uh, physical well-being more than the mental. And, and there were people who focused on that, and that was great and whatnot. But one thing that I really saw uh, in terms of my own well-being at Georgia Tech was the access I had to physically work out at the CRC, to be on a sports team, just the, the, the camaraderie and the social aspect that came with that, with the um, the access, or I get not so much access, but the opportunity to go to a Georgia Tech athletics sporting event and feel like part of a community, the, again, the, the social aspect on that. And then along with, you know, making sure that you're living in a place that is hospitable and having food that is healthy and nourishing and accessible when you need it. Um, so I, I thought it was rather interesting. I, I guess, again, this is focused more towards student athletes than athletics position in the world as well, but they only really talk about um, other like students and reaching out in the context of the connection globally, inspiring our students and the Institute through athletic achievements uh, and using the brand and then uh, expanding access and ensuring an inclusive game day atmosphere uh, for yellow jacket bands. I, I feel like personally, and, and a lot of these categories are a little bit vague and I think you might be able to speak for this too, that a lot of the community you felt on campus are not a lot of men a good amount, a respectable, notable enough amount, and the fact that we're doing this podcast <laughs> speaks to it, came from the community we found and relating to each other through other friends, through people we were in classes with, through the power of athletics, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, if you have more to say on that, I, I just thought it was uh, one thing just, that... It's just curious, and I, I think you pointed this out in the, in the soliloquy. It's just curious that they're looking at this from the context of um, student athletes. It, it, they're looking at it from the context of student athletes to community uh, and how student athletes interact with the community. They're not some of these things, and it's not just the focus of it being that, and I, and right? It's how do we goal should be to create those experiences right to create the, the impactful experiences that we had that drove us to have like, forged connections with our um and and i would there's bits and pieces of that in here obviously it's just connect globally um that that one's more of a that is more of a you know institute goal here but how does athletics collaborate with campus groups? How does it collaborate with campus resources in order to drive more student engagement, more fan engagement, more institute engagement, et cetera, et cetera? That yeah. is one of the challenges of the next five to 10 to 15 years, right? Because you have, I don't think it's, I don't think it's critical to say this at all. I think it's just the fact of the matter is that you have a good portion of students on campus that wonder why we have athletic programs. Yeah. Oh, they, they have no clue why it matters. Not a clue. They have no clue why it matters. And so it's, the, and it's not on them. At a certain level, it's not on them to go seek that out. 
Right. Especially if you don't grow up with that, whether it's cultural or familial, like uh, imagine not being in a sports family and coming to a place where you're going to get a fantastic education and then being like, oh, yeah. And everybody goes uh, six Saturdays a year to this football game, a sport that you don't understand and have no connection to. Right. And so it's bridging that gap. That's the next step that, that, that Georgia Tech Athletics has to take. I, I, I can't put a percentage on I think it's really hard to put a percentage on the number of students that come to Tech and feel like, hey, we have big-time athletics. Like, why? Why are we – I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago when in talking about this in terms of the context of revenue, right? Every student pays a, pays a student athletic fee. That makes up 6% of – 6% of whatever it is of Georgia Tech Athletic Association's budget. And so you get a lot of questions from students that don't want to pay that fee or students that are interested in athletics asking, one, why am I required to pay this fee? And sidebar, I don't think that that fee should exist, to be fair. And two, if, if we're an institution of academics, why are we paying for athletics? And these are, on the face, they're valid questions. I think both of us are somewhat offended by this question. But again, it's a, it's a cultural or a familial, or just an environmental difference, right? So and, and, kids are coming from coming from so far away, and they they expect the Georgia Institute of Technology to to be operated or to operate like the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can take that analogy for what it's worth, for whatever you want it to be worth. But the, the fact remains that at a certain level, that is the expectation for some of these students. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. And, and I don't want this to, for, to come off as Jake and Akshay want the Georgia Tech Athletics Institute programming to not focus on student athletes. That's not what we mean at all. No, 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 not no. At all. Talking about, not at all. It's an augmentation of the, of, the, yes. of the agenda, right? It's yes. How, this is a question that they need to solve. It, they, they say expand access. Uh, how are you going to do that? Engagement opportunity. And lead by example, champion innovation. There, there's so much stuff in here that is focused on student athletes. But one of the problems that Georgia Tech Athletics is going to run into is that for the past 20 some odd years, since they built, this goes back to a lot of problems that we've been talking about. It's for the past 20 some odd years since they built the Upper North, they've been in a, they've been in a state of financial distress. That state of financial distress has led to inconsistent sports performance. That, that level of inconsistent sports performances has not necessarily created like the wide swaths of fans that you want filling up the arena every weekend, right? How do yep. you connect with and, 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 and all, Go ahead, go ahead. There's no, there, there's no silver bullet to it either. It is real easy to say, oh, the problem is we have lots of international students that don't understand football, blah, blah, blah. We need to go reach them. One they may not want you to go aggressively be like, all right, you have to sit through football lessons now. Two, saying, oh, they're international. So, no, hold on, hold on. Let me say, I'm going to roll right on into that. Okay. Saying, oh, they're international or they're from the Northeast. Let's give them soccer. Let's give them lacrosse. That'll get them in the program. That'll help them do other things. One, yes, it might. It, it might get a couple people. But if you are coming to it with that at mental attitude of all we need to do is add more sports, you're still not getting the people who don't think the sport should exist in the first place. And the worst thing you could do if 
NIL ever evolves into, hey, we're going to cut contracts to them, is say, hey, you're still paying this student athletic fee, but we're also going to be paying these athletes out of the coffers that you pay 6% into. You would have a riot on your hands. Absolutely. And, and I think to add to the international point, it's some of them just don't care. And that's not a bad thing, right? Everybody well, has their own so, some people come to Georgia Tech just for the education, and that is fine. That is entirely it, it, fine. We're not knocking it. But at, at, it happens at, with people from Alpharetta just as much as it happens with people from Alabama or Illinois or across the ocean. You know, like it, it's not a it's not because it's a real reductive issue that people often force it down to is, hey, oh, they're from somewhere else. They don't get our culture. Not everyone grew up with football or came here to do that much as you and I quite literally did like I, I chose Georgia Tech because it was engineering and sports, but not everyone does that, you know. Right, and I, I think to go back to what I was saying, the, the sort of tangent that I was on was, it, like you, because of inconsistent sports performances, you don't have, you don't necessarily have the the widespread fan base that would then buy season tickets and keep donating in the coffers. But, but I do think that the institute's modern way, just higher education's modern financial structure of targeting advertising towards international and out of out of state has an effect right it, it's not it, it, i don't think it's a i'm trying to word this very specifically it's, it's less legacies thing. and more and more common app is what you're saying right it, it's not yes. a bad thing to have that it is deleterious to athletics revenue generation effect is my point as a campus community it is absolutely not a bad thing to have but and, and at the same time body is good but at this at the same time athletics needs to meet right yeah they need to meet that because it's real easy to paint people like that as a monolith as they're from far away they did not grow up in a big uh, american sports family they're not from the south they don't get football culture they're here to do engineering blah 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 they're only here because the common app makes it easy to apply hey newsflash you are from a family that did not exactly immerse you in american sports and i applied here because it was on the common app and it was good at engineering and they had some sports like it's not a monolith you're dealing with here right like, yeah. to, to to be that reductive in it is you have to have broad-based appeal and you have to lower boundaries or, or barriers to access. And, and in order to do that, you have to meet the students in an open and accepting manner. Hey, this past year, I didn't think I'd be saying this, but I think Yellow Jacket Club did a pretty good job of, of opening access and, and stuff like that for COVID year. You need more of that. And less of the, oh, we're Georgia Tech Athletics, the people will come. Or, oh, we're Georgia Tech Athletics, this is how we've always done things. Because you and I have seen firsthand that, that, that there's some amount of that in how athletics and even the Institute, it, a- academically, bureaucratically, gets run as well. And I think we've talked about this, and, and you've talked about this in previous, uh, in previous columns as well, in the history columns especially, Tech has this ivory tower mentality it is not healthy especially when it comes to this sort of sports it's it's not back at a certain level especially when we're talking strictly about sports it's not the 1960s anymore where tech is the only player in town. 
to yep. some sporting events. And we need to we need to not say that at a certain level it is if you build it, they will come. I'm not gonna say that success this is the way that Atlanta sports work. Everyone loves a winner. Everyone gets behind a winner. It's a city full of transits. That's how it works. But it's look at the Hawks just this year. Yeah, I've heard a bunch of criticism about how those like none of those people were true Hawks fans. They'll never come to a game again. They'll only support when the team is good. But you understand, as an Atlanta resident, that that is how the city works. That is the cost. At a certain level, that is the cost of doing sports business here. And it's yep. the cost of doing sports business in any major American city. It's that the fans will only show up when, you, when the team is worth watching. Which is, like, it sounds mean. The Falcons are going through this right now. The team is not worth watching. I'm sorry. There, I'm actually there are, sorry. Actually, they're, they're not worth watching. I watch them on TV. I can tell you that they're not worth watching. Those are there are wasted Sundays for me. There are very few franchises, programs, schools, individual teams at those schools that can exist with a high level of interest, ticket price, etc., on a year-in, year-out basis and a lot of that has to do with a lot of factors that are out of people's controls. And it's a lot of again, economics. again, like knock certain things about the way the school athletics, whatever is being run. I am heartened. It brings me joy for, for the 10 year strategic foundation to see Todd Stansbury, a tech man. He gets it. He went here. He was in the football program running that. I am heartened to see Angel Cabrera, a two-degree graduate of Georgia Tech, married to a uh, uh, Georgia Tech graduate, father of a Georgia Tech graduate, running academics. And I think where that struggles is, yes, those are high places, but it's hard. It's a barrier. And, And you and I know great administrators who did not go to Georgia Tech and who get it. But that is such a big barrier to, hey, you're running a sports program in Atlanta. Hey, you are working with students that tick a very certain way. Hey, you're working with certain athletic shackles that exist in in Atlanta, in Georgia Tech, in the culture of the school, of the city, uh, of the transient nature of the city. Like there's, There's so many things that come with being a Georgia Tech just to have a strategic vision. Just to say that we're putting out cultivate well-being, and just to acknowledge some of these points, I think what we're getting to is we'd like to see just a little bit more on certain critical aspects. Yes, I think that's a like reductive phrase for it, right? Yeah, I think I, I think to sum it up, it's one we like that this is written in pen. Like this, this is a thing. This document is a thing. Yeah, it's not something that tech is really had before, at least from what I can remember. And also you have to keep in mind that Tech had three athletic directors in 2010. Mm-hmm. That's the fact of life. That, that also, that, that lack of continuity hurts. And now you have an athletic director that does not seem like he's going to leave. Destination job. It gives you the opportunity to plan long-term like this. It, it, the, the job of an athletic tenure of an athletic There have only been like what thirteen of those, fourteen of those, ever at Georgia Tech. 
It's it's not that many. <laughs> we had like twelve presidents and like twelve athletic directors. It's it's not a historically high turnover role. Right, but athletic, I mean, athletic director is marginally higher. Is my point. But yeah, having but the, the age of the you know forever athletic directors is gone. That that ended a while ago. Yep, I think with, with Barry Alvarez retiring at Wisconsin, it's. It's it's done. There are no more, mm-hmm. you know, just mountains of men at, at the top of their athletic departments. For better or for worse, again. So to be able to long term plan like this, I think is a good thing. I think it comes down to one: we want to see what Georgia Tech is doing to cross over existing barriers in terms of Atlanta culture. And in terms of campus culture, specifically around people that don't think that one, a high level institution should have an athletic program, uh, high level academic institution should have an athletic program. And two, in a city that traditionally does not support non winners or inconsistent winners, I think is a more friendly way of saying that. What are, what are your goals? And these are things that we can track. We can come, we can come around here at the end of every athletic year, NCAA athletic year, to talk about these, because I think it's important that, you know, there, someone, regardless of us, regardless of someone in the athletic department, keeps, keeps people honest, because this is good. Now let's take this and put it into action. Yeah, that's, you put it well. That was a lot of a lot of talking, a lot of emotions. I think we had a good uh, a good vent session about the current state of yeah, folks there. But it was productive. I would agree. We 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 made it. <laughs> we made it through uh, the discussion. We we realized that this was going to be the fault of the end. I think it was a good. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we had. It. I'm glad that we got the show. Probably could have kept going, but I, I like I like where we left it. I, I think. You know, this isn't the recap of the episode, but if people listening would like to hear more thoughts or would like to uh, share opinions, as always, we're we got we still got July, so we're flexible. We keep saying we're going to get to these previews, but uh, this kind of dropped into our laps, and it was pretty much prime podcast fodder. You know, so I think that's the first message I sent to you was podcast in all caps with spaces in between. <laughs> Yes, it, it was. I, I vividly recall. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have anything else to add on this. How about you? Um, that that's it. I, that's done. Well, I think that's it for us this week. I guess uh, stay tuned for some sort of recap or, or uh, review next week of a sport. Yeah. Maybe? Question mark. Hopefully, we gotta say something. <laughs> At some point, see you all later.